Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Hey guys, listen, we're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount today, which I'm very, very excited about. But before we do, can we just welcome everyone joining us online? Come on, give them a hand. Our family, we're so blessed by you. Grateful to be a part of your family. And just so you know, we're going to be having communion at the end of service. And so if you're at home, you can go and grab your elements, and then we'll take it together as a church family at the end of service. Guys, today, I'm just really excited of who is going to be speaking today. He is uh, not only a friend of mine, but he's also my two teenagers. He's their youth pastor. And he is a man of God, him and his family, Nicole and Ezra and his, his children, Ezra and Jasper. We are so grateful to have them on staff here today. He's going to bless you today. So open your heart and let's welcome Pastor Evan as he comes to share the word of God today. Come on. Woo. Woo. Love yeah, you, Evan. Get a man. Go. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Man, you guys do look real good today. I love it. You guys had your holiday week and Christmas, and you look refreshed and nice. It's so good. I love it. I, it truly is an honor to be here um, with you this morning. Uh, so last week, uh, Pastor Jason started this sermon series on the Beatitudes. And so what I want to talk about this morning is something that's really heavy on my heart that I'm very excited about. You see, last week, Jason talked about how we are now part of a new, brand new kingdom culture. We are part of a brand new kingdom identity, and Jesus walks through how we're, we're blessed if we're persecuted, we're blessed if we're meek, and all of those things. And so for the next following chapters, what Jesus does is he applies those truths to their everyday lives. He talks about how your, their kingdom culture now um, affects their marriage, their finances, how they treat people, their possessions, their choices, everything. And so this morning, I get the wonderful opportunity to talk about the first application that Jesus gives his disciples. We're called to be salt and light. See, I'm a youth pastor, so if I was to be speaking at FSM tonight, I would title this message, How to Be Salty and Lit, but I decided to choose the more mature option, the more adult option, and go with uh, salt and light, the heart of Christ. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read from this awesome scripture about how to be salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your heaven, or to your Father who is in heaven. Very simply, Jesus is telling his disciples, boys, it's time to get to work. Right, Your new kingdom culture, it's not just for you, it's meant for the world. We, this world so desperately needs some salt and light. Now some of you are looking at me, looking at me and go, why salt and light? Why, why, like for real, like why is Jesus using these two household items to describe what the, what the disciples are supposed to be now? Well, let's get in our time machine, let's get in our DeLorean, and let's go back 2,000 years and look at these two things. So the Greek word, for salt is called halas. 
All right? And the meaning actually means salt. Now you're a Bible scholar. Give yourself a pat on the back. You know ancient Koine Greek. Way to go, all right? Um, so it means salt, right? And so how they would get salt back then is they would go to the Dead Sea, which is very full of salt, and they would draw water out of the Dead Sea, and they'd put it in these vats, and they'd boil it really, really hot, and they would steam all the water out until all that was left was salt. And they would take the salt, and they would use it much like how you and I use it today. They would use it to, taste, or to put taste on their food, to add some zest. Um, they would also use salt as an antiseptic. So if you had a wound, um, they would put it on, uh, on the wound. And then also, because they didn't have these fancy things called refrigerators, they would rub it into their meat so that it wouldn't uh, decay or rot and grow smelly, right? And then lamps back then, they, they were made out of ceramic, and they were kind of like the genie lamps, you know, and they were filled with oil and they had a little handle and they would be able to take them from room to room because they didn't have these wonderful things called light switches like we do today. So why, why does Jesus want us to be a table garnish and a nightlight? Like why does he, why does he use these two words? It's because he knows, Jesus knows just how dark and decaying the world is. He knows just how bad it really is. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. And so let's look at these, let's look at what it looks like to be salt and light. Number one, salt and light brings zest, thirst, and clarity. Look, we have a reason to sing, amen? You and I, we were on a one-way track to hell, but because of Jesus pulling us up out of the darkness and putting us into the light, now not only do we get to, to experience him and, him and his presence and his joy right now, we get to look ahead to eternity and go, man, I, I know where I was going, but now I get to be with my Lord and Savior in heaven forever. We have a reason to sing. We have a reason to celebrate. So because of this, you and I ought to be some of the most gleeful, happy, joyous, annoyingly happy people on the planet. Seriously. We should be throwing the biggest parties and handing out gifts and laughing until it hurts. We should have fun. People should see us and they go, what's wrong with you? Why are you so happy all the time? I'm just it's smiling. It's my favorite thing to do. I just love smiling. Right? And people should see that. They should see that, that zest, that joy. And what it will do, it'll, it'll, call them, it'll cause them to thirst. Because then they'll want what we have. Especially when you and I are going through some of the most difficult, hardest sufferings that you and I have been through. And when we go through things like injustice and unfairness and all those, all those things but we still respond with this zest, with this life, with this joy. People will look at us from the world and go, I want what you, I want what you have, man. We're called to create thirst. It says later on in Matthew that <laughs> we're supposed to be so countercultural, so excited about life, so willing to love people and show them Jesus that he even uses the, the, the example of if you get sued for something, then give them more afterwards. It'd be like if, if somebody sued you for $10,000 and they won, it'd be like you writing a check for an extra $5,000 after they won and going, here you go. Like they would look at you like, are, are you okay? Right? Like it would just be so countercultural, so kingdom culture. But that's the kind of attitude we're called to have. 
We're called to bring zest and clarity and thirst into this world where people see it and they just go, what? Number two, salt and light provide restoration and warmth. Now, I mean it when I say that I seriously have the best job in the world. It's not even, it's really for me, it's not even a job. I just, I love high schoolers. I love hanging out with them. No matter how awkward and awesome that they are, I love every single one of them. They are, they're just a joy to be around. And a lot of times I get people who come up to me and they're interested in serving with the high school. And so they come up to me and they go, well, I would love to, but I'm kind of nervous about a few things because I'm not as cool as I used to be. I'm not, I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like lame. I, I go to bed at 8 p.m. and, you know, I'm not really that hip and actually I have a bad hip, you know, and so, you know, <laughs> so I don't think they'll like me. Well, and if that's you and you want to serve at high school, I mean, I, seriously, I, I'll tell you what I tell them is warm is the new cool. Being warm is the new cool. And you see, teenagers and people, they don't need somebody who has it all figured out or is cool or whatever. They just need people who are approachable. They just need people who are authentic, who are genuine, who are real. People that actually want to spend time with them. That's what it means to be warm. That's what it means. You see, I love, one of my favorite things to do is we just, we just got a new house that has a wood-burning stove, and I've learned real quickly that my son is a pyro. And so, here's what happens, right? So after dinner, every night, he's always like, Dad, fire, fire, right? Like, he just wants to make a fire all the time. And so after dinner, we'll, we'll, I'll get a fire going and get, get it going, and, and Nicole and, uh, will we'll make hot cocoa. And what we'll do is we'll just we'll turn off all the lights in the house so it's only the fire. And we'll just sit by the fire and we'll read books together as a family or we'll wa just watch the boys just play with their toys or sometimes we just sit on the couch and watch the fire, right? Like, I love it. But I love spending time with Ezra, not because of the fire or the hot cocoa, which those are benefits, but I love spending time with Ezra because he's my son, because he's my boy, because he's mine. And can I just tell you tonight or this morning that Jesus views you the same way? That he loves you not because of anything you've done, but just because you belong to him? that he cherishes you, that he wants to spend time with you. Now let me make something very clear. There's a lot of times where people in our lives, there are people in our lives that you and I kind of don't want to spend time with. <laughs> or sometimes we just, we don't like living in America anymore and so you're just like, Brazil sounds nice, um, right? I hear the, the beach is great this time of year, right? Like, there are times in this world and in this life where there are people we just don't want to spend time with, but let me make something very, very, very clear. There should not be an expectation from believers for the lost to act saved, but there is an expectation from Jesus for the saved to love the lost. This is huge. This is huge. Christ's heart is concerned about the heart of others. He knows their actions display their heart, but he doesn't just tell them to fix their behavior. He gives them himself to fix their hearts. 
Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it forms flow the springs of life. If we ever think we're going to be salt and light in a decaying world, we need to be focused on people's hearts, not just their lifestyle or their actions or their choices. Because here's what happens. Rotting people and decaying people smell. And so we don't want to be around them because we don't like what they're doing. People are needy, they take up our time, they interrupt our agendas, they put us out of our comfort zone. So instead of being intentional, what we do is we, be, we do the things that are easy. We do the things that are easy. It looks like this. It's easy when someone approaches you with anxiety and you just tell them, hey, just don't be anxious, just relax, man, it's fine. It's easy when someone is struggling with a habit to just tell them, well, God doesn't like that, so just stop it. It's easy when someone you know has a marital issue and you just give them a book that you read once and leave. It's easy when someone approaches you with a questionable lifestyle, so you just shun them. It's easy when you to post a comment towards something on social media about an issue you don't agree with. It's easy when someone approaches you with depression or sin or an issue or a doubt or a fear or a pain and all you respond with was, is well God's got a plan for you now don't hear what I'm not saying prayer is vital prayer is huge yes God does have a plan but let me there, there is a huge difference between throwing someone, someone a life preserver and actually diving in after them one has an exit strategy you're still safe you're still on the boat the other one you risk it all. You risk it all for them. You see, he, Jesus loved us without an exit strategy. He loved us so much that he sent himself. See, when we focus on being intentional with our relationships the way Christ was, when we choose to actually walk alongside a neighbor who's decaying and then reveal our own decay, we become Christ's warmth. We become Christ's we help restore people. Now there's, I'm sure many of you, you've, you've, you've maybe experienced this once before. When, when you were a kid, did you ever get a splinter in your finger? And so you get a splinter in your finger and you run to your dad and, and, your, and, and, and your dad does the most dad thing ever and he whips out the knife and he's like, all right, give it to me. And he grabs your arm and he just starts to like, you know, pull the, because real dads, they don't use the tweezers. They just pull out like a giant buck knife and they're like, yeah. And you don't know, they're grabbing you and you don't know if they're going to chop off your hand or get the splinter out. And so you're just like, ha, 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 ha. So you kind, of, you kind of freaked out as a kid, right? And so you pulled and they're like, just stop, just stop, just hold on to me. Just, no, I don't, I, it's fine, I'll just live with the splinter. Right? There are some of you dads in here that are like, ha, guilty. There's a big difference when we're helping people. There's a big difference when someone is gentle and there's, or if they're just agitated. They just want to get it done. Just, just give me your hand. Give me the, let's get the splinter. Stop complaining. Stop whining. In the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's 89 biblical chapters. But there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. And only one place perhaps the most beautiful words ever uttered by human lips. We actually get to look at Jesus' heart. It's in Matthew chapter 11. It says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil. Jesus tells us that his heart is gentle and lowly. The word lowly is the same Greek word used for humility. Jesus is, is meek. He's not trigger happy or easily exasperated or harsh. No, he's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not pointed finger, but of open arms. Jesus is accessible. There's no prerequisites, no forms you have to fill out, no hoops you have to jump through. And the very people that activate his heart are the ones that are burdened and heavy laden. It's the only thing he works with. You don't need to unburden yourself or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. No, no, no. It's our burden that qualifies us to come to Jesus. It qualifies us. And he doesn't just give you rest for your bodies. He gives you rest for your very souls. He's tender, open, welcoming, long-suffering. And if we were to ask to only use one word to describe Jesus, we would be honoring his word by saying he's gentle. The whole world, I mean, look at, just look at events. The whole world is so burdened, so heavy laden. Who's going to display this kind of rest and hope and peace in this world? Who's going who's to stand against the culture and bring in some kingdom culture? Who's going who, who's to stand up and give people it's a slice of heaven? If we ever hope to, to, to know how to be salt and light, we need to look at Christ's heart. He restores us, not with condemnation or words dripping with guilt. He doesn't keep a record of all of your wrongs. Instead, his, passion, his compassion is unlocked when we sin, when we suffer, when we're anxious, when we're fearful, when we're heavy laden, angry, doubtful, overwhelmed, fed up, and at the end of our rope. So no matter how complicated or time-consuming people are, we should find joy in handing out mercy and love and hope like it's candy. We find joy in those moments. Why? Because in this, God is calling us to live for a much bigger kingdom than our own little ones that we would like to make for ourselves. Working with high schoolers gives me the opportunity to, to do this all the time. <laughs> I feel honored Truly, I feel honored when my schedule is interrupted by a teen. I feel honored that I have less money than I would have otherwise have. I feel honored that God has actually given me this grave need, put this grave need in front of me. It's not an interruption. It's not an irritation. It's not an obstacle. It's my life. And look at the words. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We do everything I just talked about because when we do the spirit, when we do, the spirit begins to work in their hearts, begins to dismantle that functional atheism because they've seen an anomaly, because they've seen Jesus shining through you. And they look at you and they go, maybe there is a Jesus. And all of a sudden their skepticism begins to wash away. Number three, salt and light, preserve and influence. Um, so because salt uh, is pure, 
they, would, they would use it to, right, to, to preserve their meat. And so they would take the salt, and what salt actually does is it actually kills the little microorganisms and things that begin to eat at the meat and make it rot and smell really bad. So because salt is pure, you and I are called to be pure. And I don't just mean in the sexual sense, I mean in everything, everything, in every facet and aspect of our lives. Our choices and values should stand out and point the world to gospel-centeredness. It's that way. So not only should people see our contagious joy, and, they should, and not only should they see our gentle warmth, but they should also see that we're driven, that we're influenced, not by anything in this culture that we can see, but by a culture that we cannot see, by a gospel-centered culture. Because we're called to preserve the world, our city, our neighborhood, and our families. We're called to make it better. We're called to make it better. We're called to help it not self-destruct on itself. That's our job. If it weren't for Christ's influence in my life, I wouldn't be here. I would not be standing on this stage right now. If it weren't for men and women in my life preaching the gospel to me like crazy and calling out sin in my life that needed to be fixed, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. And now I get the same, I get the same opportunity to, to take that influence and pass it along to some teenagers here in Arvada. And his influence, he always prides preservation through it. You see, Jesus has pulled me along in some of the hardest most wonderful, awesome, but difficult circumstances in my life. And through every single circumstance, through every single moment, he has preserved me. So friends, people in our world and in our lives are going through junk. Who's going to help encourage them along the path? Who's it going to be? Can I just encourage you today with the simple truth that no matter who or what is causing you trouble, Jesus can preserve you through it? Every single time, Jesus sees your suffering. He understands your hurts. He feels your worry and your loss. And he doesn't just want to quick fix you. No, he wants to be a part of the process. He loves being a part of the process of your suffering. He loves to walk with you step by step, moment by moment, preserving you through it. What an awesome God we have. What an awesome God we have. He's a steadfast, preserving, and patient God. How wonderful is it that he does not give up on us? So in, if you've been in Christian circles for a while, there's, um, you've probably learned about the different types of, of love that's mentioned in the Bible, right? Like there's porneia love and there's agape love, right? If, if you've never heard this before, there's different types of words for love, okay? But there's one type of word that we don't have like in our English language, right? right? Like we just use the word love for a lot of things, right? But there's a word in ancient Hebrew that, has just that is just blowing me away, away right now that I just learned about in a book and I want to share with you because it's awesome. It's the term called hesed love. You see, hesed love is the kind of love that combines commitment and sacrifice. 
It commits loyalty and selflessness. So no matter how you treat me, no matter how the world treats me, I respond in love because I'm not anchored on my emotions. I'm not anchored on my own selfishness. I'm not anchored on any of the things that make me feel comfortable. I'm anchored in Christ. And if he died on a cross and chose to love his enemies, I can too. That's Hesed love. Now this is probably gonna be the absolute hardest aspect for us to live out. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He's really challenging his disciples. He knows this won't be easy. And he knows it won't be easy because we're sinners. We mess up. We screw up. Because we're not perfect. And so that's why you and I, all the time, need to be drenched with Jesus and covered in his salt so that when you walk in a room, people just taste salt in the air. They're just like... It's like, it's like all of a sudden, it's like, what, am I at the beach? What? I just, like, you just smell and taste salt in the air. It's that simple, but Jesus is very clear that it's very easy to lose our saltiness and smother our light. And we do this when we misrepresent Jesus. We become tasteless and dull when we misrepresent Jesus. Now, please hear me. This is not a call to be perfect. That's Jesus' job. That's Christ's job. But God really, really, really cares about how people view him. He cared so much that he sent his son on earth so that when people were wondering, what is God like? Jesus was just like, look at me. Look at me. You want to know what my father is like? You want to know what God's like? Here, let me clear the fog and show you who he is. I am he. This is what, Je this is what God is like. Just look at my life. So I don't want to do anything that will ever come close to misrepresenting Jesus. This is very challenging. This isn't easy or glamorous. It's actually probably a lot easier to put a basket on our, on, on our lamps, on our head. You see, when salt was contaminated back then, 2,000 years ago, what they would actually do is when salt began to lose its taste because it was con contaminated with different things, what they would do is they'd actually take the salt and they would throw it onto the roofs of their houses. And so the roofs of ancient Israel were a place where people would gather, hang out, eat food. And so quite literally, salt was trampled on. It was useless. It was just used to be walked on. We misrepresent Jesus. Galatians 5.19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife. Does that apply to what's been going on lately? Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of earth. Now, some of you are like, wow, Evan, you're really trying to make a point. Thanks a lot. Yeah, because I want to point you to Jesus because I want you to want him. I want you to want him more because the minute we think we're fine, the minute we think we're okay is the minute that Satan gets a foothold. What a lie to believe that you're fine, that you're okay. No, no, no. We need Jesus, my friends. We need his salt. We need his light because our sin rears its head in little ways and little moments every day and every day. We need Christ's salt. 
And we can misrepresent Jesus by being one of two ways or a combination of both. You either become a chameleon or a meddler. So chameleon is someone who says they're a believer, but when they walk into a room, they do anything they can to blend in. Right, like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm gonna be really loving and nice, but I'm not gonna step on any toes, right? I don't wanna offend anyone. And some of you, maybe you're, you're kind of like a chameleon and you've liked my message a lot because it's all about just, just love people, just, treat, just be nice to them, right? And yada, yada, yada. And so, oh yeah, I can do that. But God doesn't call us to be nice. He calls us to be salt and light. And so, honestly, chameleons aren't actually very loving. They're actually very cowardly because they're so concerned about how other people think and what... Uh, mm, uh, that's a chameleon. The other one is called a meddler. So I'm going to have someone come up on stage. Um, his name is Soren. Soren, will you come on up here, man? Um, so Soren, uh, let's give Soren a huge round of applause, okay? Soren, can you grab the, grab the microphone from Pastor Jason, would you? Grab the microphone, uh, would you? So uh, Soren's one of our, is in FSM. He's a great dude, and I knew he would do this. <laughs> Six feet, please. Okay. Um, so, uh, so Soren, um, do you like gum, man? You like gum? You want some gum? All right, here. Here's some gum. There you go. All right. What'd you, what'd you do that for? Here you go. Gravity is strong right there. Go ahead and put them, put them in your mouth. Go ahead and you can chew them away. But I want you to do something. I want you to chew with your mouth open into the mic. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the crowd and keep doing it until I tell you to stop. <laughs> okay, um, so just keep going. All right, so here we go. Don't stop. Okay. Turn to 1 Peter ch chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. As a meddler. So a meddler is someone, a meddler is someone who's a bit tricky because they come across as someone who's biblical, who's Christianese, right? But really what they do is they're overly confident in the way of which is right. There's someone who isn't afraid to steamroll people or burn bridges, someone who is overly concerned about their own rights, someone who may speak biblical truth, but does it in such a way that repels people instead of attracting them. So when we are salt and light, we should be attractive to people, but that doesn't mean that there won't be animosity. That doesn't mean there won't be animosity. Uh, Jason last week talked about if you are a believer, you will be persecuted. You are really good at this. <laughs> like seriously, did you go to school for this or something? This is insane. Wow. I bet your parents love it when you chew gum. <laughs> wow. Let's give Soren a round of a hand. He can, you can go and have a seat. Go ahead and give the mic back to Jason. 
Listen, there's nothing wrong with chewing gum. It makes your breath smell better. But are you doing it in a way that repels people or attracts people? Right? To be a chameleon or a meddler is someone who's so self-focused, not others-focused. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. It's someone who wants to, instead of, instead of gently and lowly loving people, we, the meddlers just shove it down people's throats. That's a meddler. So Jesus is saying, look, be persecuted because of me, not because of you. And you see, many of us, we know people like this, or maybe you're someone who's like this, and you walk around and you go, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You should have done this, you should have done this. And then they walk around like, oh, I am holier than thou. Because I am, people shun me because they don't even want to talk to me because I am all about the gospel. No, they shun you because you're obnoxious. <laughs> now, I'm not saying we can't be bold. Don't hear me. We need to be bold. There's, there are some very serious, serious, angering issues in the world right now. Ones that we should very rightly be passionate about and do something about. Now, there are good, there's good reasons to be mad and passionate, but I want to ask, is our anger and passion constructively serving God's redemptive purposes, or is it destructively serving our own selfish agenda? When we respond to the world about something we're passionate about, do we do it in such a way that represents the heart of Jesus? When we fight for biblical rights, are we doing it in such a way that is so loving and so gracious that a watching world will look at us and actually say, man, I want more of that? Now, I wasn't born under a rock. It, sometimes it doesn't matter how gracious you are. People are still going to bring animosity. Jesus was the most gracious person in the world, and he got hung on a cross. And it's not just for the big, big political, worldly things. It's for our families, too. We need to be salt and light to our families. Are you shoving it down their throats or are you, or are you being a chameleon? You don't want to force them, right? Our friends and our neighbors and our kids and our spouses and our family, they need Jesus so bad. And it's sometimes a lot easier to be salt and light to a world and then when you get home, you turn it off. And your family gets the blunt end of the stick. Like I said, Jesus is really challenging his disciples. This is not an easy calling. Jesus, Jesus knows this is going to be so difficult. But, but Christ makes a way. Christ makes a way. Just as, just as we're called to preserve this world and help it go from self-destruction and we're, Jesus does, this, does the same thing for us. He gives us the ability, because we are part of his kingdom culture, to be like him. And he helps us along the journey. In Isaiah chapter 46, it says this, I have cared for you. This is God speaking. I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. So here's the question. How do we stand firm in this world that is so dark and decaying and yet do it in a way that is gentle and lowly? How do we find that inner balance? The answer is, you need to be blessed. 
Now blessed is, we looked last week, you know, it says blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are persecuted. And you see, we as Americans, we usually see this word blessed and we think it's kind of like just an old archaic word just to say we're happy, like right, hashtag blessed y'all, right? No. It's kind of like that, but it actually means a little bit more. It actually means someone who's accomplished, someone who is successful, people who have lived so well that they are role models and heroes. So now when we read those kinds of passages, when it says, now it says, successful are the persecuted. What? Successful are the persecuted? It makes sense for the strong to inherit the earth. It makes sense to say the popular will inherit the earth. The poor don't inherit stuff. This doesn't make sense. There's only one answer. It means someone came into this world and redefined what it means to be accomplished and successful. So let me ask, let me ask you this. Why is it? Why is it that you and I will be as rich as kings? Because he was poor. Why is it that you and I will be comforted? Because he grieved, because he wept, because he died in the dark. Why will we inherit the earth? Because he was meek, because he was the lamb taken to the slaughter. Why are we going to be filled? Because he hung on a cross and said, I thirst. If Christ had come rich, laughing, strong, popular, he wouldn't have been successful because he came to save us. He came as a babe in a food trough. He came riding into town on a donkey. There will come a day, though, where he is coming back carrying a sword. And oh, what a day that'll be, my friends. He will be bold as a lion. He will be as threatening as lightning. But right now, we're called to be meek. Because those are the people that inherit the earth. He took the curse so that we could be blessed, so we could be successful. It means when I see Christ boldly obeying what the Father commanded him to do and then being persecuted and afflicted without any self-pity, that means I can respond the same way too. When I see Jesus pouring himself out, he's salt, he's light. When I see him pouring himself out onto people, even people who don't care, even people who say who are his enemies, I can do that too now, and so can you. Why? Because the knowledge of what he did for me is a blow to my me-first attitude. We look at him giving all this away. We look at him and respond. We look at him responding with gentleness and lowliness, even in the midst of ravaging violence, even when people were ripping his beard out. You want to talk about rights being taken away. Be the salt and light to this world, to the city, to your neighborhood, to your family, by looking at him, by realizing and affirming that your identity is in him, not you. Not in this culture, not in this world. 
This is a committed love. This is a dying love. This is love without an exit strategy. It's committed. It's dying. It's a, it's, it gets rid of our me first attitude. We die with Christ and then rise with Christ. That's Hesed love in action. It's opposite of pride. John 12 says this, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So, maybe you're here this morning and you need Christ's salt and light to restore you so bad. How do you want him to? What are the dark areas in your heart that need to be lit up? Jesus' light reveals the need and offers the solution. As we walk this walk, the Holy Spirit guides us and helps us through it. Maybe you're here and you're just now really realizing that you've forgotten this call. You realize you've compromised. You've realized that you're a chameleon or a meddler. Maybe you've seen someone in your life that you've been, maybe there's someone in your life you've been avoiding because you, you don't want them to, to take your time because they're decaying. Listen, every nook and cranny of our hearts in this world needs salt and light. Maybe you're feeling a tug this morning. Maybe you're feeling, man, I want to do something about this. Maybe you're feeling called to go and be salt and light in in politics, in the classroom, in your family, in your school, in your office. Go do something. This is a challenging call. But Christ sustains us. Christ makes a way. Christ died so that now we can be like him and respond to this world no matter how crazy it is. We can respond gentle and lowly, being bold and firm for the gospel. We can do all those things well. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making it possible for us to be salt and light in a world that is so dark and decaying. God, thank you for doing the same thing for us in our hearts, for preserving us, for warming us with your grace, for adding excitement and joy and life into our lives. So now, may we not just hold it, but may we just give it out. Lord, I pray that faith is a place that when people walk into this church, they taste salt in the air because we are so saturated in you. God, we love you. Thank you for providing a way for us to be salt and light to a dark and decaying world. In your name, amen.